With us today, we have Steve Delinsky. Steve is a 13-time James Beard Award-winning food journalist, which is insanely impressive. He produces content each week for a number of different outlets. He's a reporter at AB7 Chicago and Pizza City USA, a contributing reporter for Public Radio International's The World, and also publishes delicious content on his blog, stevedolinsky.com. Steve is also the founder of Pizza City USA Tours, and he is the host and producer of the Pizza City Podcast. Welcome to the We Earn Media Podcast, Steve. Jackie and I can't wait to talk to you about our two most favorite things, food and journalism. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Now, to give our listeners a little background info, when you and I were talking about a story you might want to talk about, You mentioned one that you wrote a pretty long time ago about peanut butter. So long ago, in fact, that it doesn't exist online. Amazing. We absolutely love this because A, it means there's something about the story and or pitch that made it really memorable. And B, peanut butter is honestly my favorite food. So tell us about the story. So I think anytime someone is pitching a story, it's great to have at least two, if not three examples kind of back up the pitch. So a lot of times, I'm, you know, when I do media training outside of Chicago, um, I work with chefs and publicists about this. I always tell them, like, don't just pitch yourself. You don't want to just have, you know, hey, pitching a story about my client, that's great. But if you can serve up on a silver platter two other examples, that usually is going to get the editor or producer's attention. So in this case, it was, you know, the peanut butter pitch. And it began with Whole Foods. You know, they you can make peanut butter. Uh, in the aisle, you go to the peanut section, you can grind it up right there, you make crushed peanut butter. Okay, that's interesting. Then there's a Senegalese restaurant on the south side of Chicago, and they specialize in peanut stews in Mm -hmm. Senegal. And so it's to see how they use some peanut butter when they make that savory, slightly spicy stew. And then the third example uh, was um, was actually a University of Chicago business plan uh, that became a reality from a business student. And it was uh, called Bobtail Ice Cream, and they were in Lakeview, and they were making several flavors from scratch every day in the house, and a little tiny kitchen, and they always mm-hmm. had a chocolate peanut butter flavor. So, I mean, three really interesting, diverse sets of examples, um, all very visual, that would be perfect for a TV piece. And so, understanding also not just the subject matter you're pitching, but the medium, like, you know, is it a radio show? Is it a TV show? Is it a segment? Is it an entire 30 minute? Is it a five minute? So my segment is only about three to four minutes long. And the take piece is about two minutes, you know, with live intro, outro. So you're thinking that what can you do in two, two and a half minutes on television? You know, that's how you have to sort of frame the pitch. And so it's not, you know, we're going to do a cooking demo with peanut butter. No, that doesn't, I don't do those. It's how can you fit this idea, this pitch into the format uh, with that reporter or producer. That's genius. Which of the three examples did the PR person represent? Bobtail, not the ice cream. Oh, smart. And so they rounded up the other two examples and they basically, they did storytelling. They put together the story for you and made your life probably a lot easier. They did the storytelling. They did the legwork. They, you know, looked online to see what kinds of stories the food reporter at ABC7 does. A lot of times they'll just blindly pitch um, a cooking segment because that's what they think the food reporter Mm -hmm. does. Uh, Or they'll pitch something that's way off uh, brand. Um, or they'll do like a, a, a packaged good that 
comes from the East Coast that's only available by mail order. I mean, this didn't really do, you know, the research typically, but yeah, the person did the research, did the legwork, thought of the story, um, and just laid it out right on the platter for, for the reporter and made it really easy to say yes. That's so cool. It's like the perfect pitch. <laughs> In general, do you receive a lot of pitches, Steve? Yeah, I mean, I, I would probably say a couple each day. Most are from local publicists. And Chicago is still, you know, despite COVID, has a fair number of publicity firms that specialize in hospitality and food. And so I would say like today, I looked at three or four that just came across my desk um, or my email and some of them are pretty good. I mean, you know, there's always a a young person who's just trying to, you know, get something for their clients. And I understand that. Um, I would say that it's important to do like, you know, spell check and, you know, make, make sure the names are spelled right. And, uh, the locations make sense, and like if you're going to say everything's made from scratch, you know that they are making everything from scratch. Because I'll find out later that uh, they don't make the bread, and they don't make the pastrami, and they don't make they make the sauces in house, you know. But they buy everything from somebody else. That's always an issue, I think, with uh, young publicists. But yeah, I probably get a handful of, of pitches each day. Let's see. Is there something about this subject line? Like, do you open? We always ask our our guests. Do you open every email? Oh yeah. I mean, I looked at everything. I mean, I can tell if it's all caps and all exclamation points, the first two lines, I'm probably not going to be interested <laughs> in it. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, you know, I, I understand that restaurants, some restaurants have big budgets and can afford, you know, to pay a retainer of five, $6,000 a month. And therefore their kinds of stories are going to be, you know, specific. It's going to be a tequila promotion or a wine dinner or that sort of ilk. And that's not typically what I'm thinking about. You know, I'm thinking about like neighborhood places and, or like I said, you know, a roundup of three different things. Like just this morning, I was shooting a story about a dish called chicken adobo, which is good in the Philippines. Two two new restaurants, two new restaurants here in Chicago. Uh, One's in the Chicago French market near the train. One is a standalone. And I went to go see how they, they they compare and contrast the chicken adobo. So that's something that I'm I'm looking for. But in terms of like, do I look at every email? Yeah, I mean, I look at everything. I don't know if I respond to everything, but I, I will try to respond and just say, you know, pass on this one, but you know, thanks. So just thinking locally, obviously we want to keep it fresh if we're reaching out to the same reporters regularly. Um, do you mostly feature new restaurants or do you find yourself often featuring some of the same restaurants if they have a new dish or a new angle that they pitch to you? No, I mean, well, well, both. I mean, I do some new places. Um, I'm looking for interesting stories. So it could be it could be a place that's been in business for 60 years. Cool. You know, if I'm doing a story about tavern-style Chicago Thin Pizza, which is Chicago's traditional style of pizza, I'm going to go to a place like Pat's that's been around since 1950. Um, but if there's a brand new place that just opened up with a hotshot chef and they're using artisanal jardinera and, um, you know, Berkshire pork to make their own pastrami and or make their own pepperoni in house. I might frame that as, hey, here's a kind of a new modern take on an old tradition in Chicago. Let's see the old traditional version at the old place from 1950, and then let's also talk to this new guy. So I'm always trying to come up with the interesting story angle. I think. Mm-hmm. Speaking of story angles, how do you come up with your own story ideas? Oh, it's a hodgepodge. I mean, I, you know, some of it is driving around the city and oh, that awning looks interesting. I mean, that literally happened to me last week. I was going to an anniversary party for an old pizzeria on the Southwest side, which is very working class, mostly Mexican now along this one stretch of Pulaski Road. 
and I saw an interesting awning for a place called Raspachos, which I'd never heard of before. It's a palateria. You know, palates are like popsicles made with either water or milk. And I said, you know what? On the way back home, I'm going to stop in there. And I did. And I'm glad I did because I found out so much more about this place. They make 60 wow. flavors. Wow. Some are direct descendants from Morelia Michoacan based on the owner's childhood. Um, and tasted them and, of course, blown away. And so told them right there and then and there, hey, I want to come back with a camera and do a story on you guys. And so that was my story last uh, Saturday night on ABC. So sometimes it's just like, wow, that looks interesting. Um, I do devote a lot of time during the week to just going out and trying stuff. Um, ABC actually gives me a budget to do that so I can try things at my own leisure. Oh, that's um, nice. If, you know, if I don't like it, I mean, I would say 75% of the time they're not going to make air because they're just not noteworthy enough. So, and that's fine because then I, there's no going to press dinners and no freebies. It's just, I go on my own. If I like it, I, I want to do a story on it. I can come back and do a story on it. If I don't like it, there's no obligation. There's mm-hmm. no you know guilt factor. So, and that's a big, that's a big issue. I think in the food coverage space is that not enough, not a lot of places get the budgets to do it. And I, and I think if you're going to cover food, you probably should have, a budget and if you don't maybe you should think about doing something Mm -hmm. else that makes sense because then you're not only giving coverage to those who can afford maybe the fancy pr firm or like you said like it could look like bribery if you're only covering restaurants that are willing to give you a free meal or whatever you guys actually right that's that's what a lot of i see that's what I, i see a lot of on sort of food influencer pages is they're all north side in chicago which is you know tends to be wealthier um, all have publicists, mm. all are kind of new. Um, they don't really go into the neighborhoods and do kind of the interesting reporting. And Chicago has 77 neighborhoods. So like, if you're only going to go to three neighborhoods, that doesn't seem like yeah. very fair coverage. So those folks probably, are, you know, they're, they're in a different game than I am, they're in a different space. Oh my gosh. Well, if you're a PR person representing a restaurant, maybe you should consider rounding up a few other places that might have a smaller budget that you could draw attention to. So there's my little uh, idea for, sure. for you, right? I mean, That's kind of fun. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're promoting a, like a Cinco de Mayo, mm-hmm. which I, I don't like those pitches, by the way, because <laughs> you probably Cinco get a lot. De Mayo is not, <laughs> well, you know, they're not, it, it was not a big holiday in Mexico. I mean, Mexican independence in September is a much bigger holiday, Yep. Um, which is why Hispanic Heritage Month starts on September 15th, not on September 1st because September 15th is independence. Um, but I think if you're going to pitch a tequila story, for example, you know, find out the little place in the neighborhood that has a great tequila selection, you know, in, in the Mexican community. Find out a place where they're cooking with tequila. Find out a place where, you know, they have a lot of mezcals on their list that complement the tequila. So, you know, thinking, again, outside the box of the client oh, and putting together this. a story pitch that involves other people. I, you know, it, first of all, it looks like you're actually, you know, working hard at the pitch. It's not just I'm sending out a press release to everybody, the same exact press release, word for word. All I did was change the salutation and the sort of hello line. You know, actually think about the medium. Think about the who's receiving this pitch. Oh, that that makes that. a big difference. And that could be translated into other industries, too. I don't know what you think about this, Britt, but like, let's say you're working with a for-profit company on a certain topic. You could get together maybe a small nonprofit that's more grassroots driven, might not have a huge PR budget, and you can kind of partner with them and get another, I don't know, third party or fourth party or whatever, and really like 
kind of join forces with people and bring the story to the public and do goodwill at the same time, you know, like kind of spread the wealth. It's kind of cool. Yeah, I think and I think you also earn the respect of the the producer or editor you're pitching if you show that you're really thinking, you know, how do I put myself in your shoes? How do mm. I make this easy for them? How do I make this sort of turnkey for them um, so that they really can't say no? You know, you, you, I think you, there's a woman, um, Sarah Rosenberg in New York. Uh, she used to work for Nightline on ABC and did some food producing pieces and was nominated for Beards and um, dropped out of that and went into PR and worked for London Madison Park and some really good clients in New York. And there was a piece written about her that I think all your listeners should definitely check out. I think it was in Vanity Fair um, about kind of how you, how you should do the for sort of food pitching job. Mm. And the way she goes about it, it's like, you know, when you hear from her, you don't hear from her every week, by the way. You don't hear from her just because there's a special dinner going on. You hear from her like once a quarter. And so right then and there, your ears perk up because you're like, okay, so she put some thought into this. It's not just an everyday occurrence. So that's the infrequency I think is important. And then, because otherwise your eyes just glaze over and you don't respond to people. And so, and then the, the way that it's written, it's not like sort of a boilerplate pitch. It's like, hey, Steve, um, I noticed this thing on your Instagram last week. You were talking about this, such and such. Well, you know, my client is now doing something similar with the papaya salad from Thailand as well, blah, blah, blah. The way she writes it, it's a personal note to you. Right. And it just has so much more impact and veracity and just, um, I don't know, mm -hmm. I just, it's legitimate. It's not just um, in another pitch. Because, you know, one of the things we don't like it in, in the media is to see the story that we're covering mm -hmm. on someone else's media. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to do a story about Raspachos, the Palateria, and see a big story in the Chicago Tribune the same week and a story in the Sun-Times the same week. It's like, oh, you know, they pitched everybody at the same time and they didn't tell anybody about you know the double booking and i've even seen people who've been on abc7 on one of our other programs we have called windy city live which is a daily talk show you know and then they've pitched me to do a food story and i find out separately like they're going to be in windy city live and my mm -hmm. segment within a week or two that just drives us crazy so i think getting a really personalized sort of individual right. pitch is important absolutely that's my biggest fear. I, I always <laughs> make sure that I don't pitch somebody at the same outlet, the same story, because I know journalists collaborate with one another and talk to each other and reporters talk to each other at the same outlet. So I love that you said that. Good. So when you hear from Sarah quarterly and the email is personalized, does she have a couple different story ideas within the email itself, kind of telling you what her what she's looking at for the next quarter, or does she have one succinct story line that she's pitching you, um, and then you don't one idea? Okay, cool. Yeah, one idea. Love one that. idea. Yeah, because she worked with a she worked with a new opening here called Pacific Standard Time, uh, and you know, of course, I'm going to do a story on the place anyway. But it was nice to hear from her, and then she kind of gave me a couple of possible angles. Awesome. Very cool. I like that. I mean, I'm making it sound like journalists are all lazy. But they do have a lot of other things they got to get to besides just doing a story. They've got to think social media angles. They've got to think visually sometimes. They've got to think if there's sound, if it's a radio pitch. So 
So she was just you know, doing her job as a journal, a former journalist, like saying, here's a couple of things you might be interested in if you want to pursue any of these mm. avenues. So details are important in the pitch, sounds like. Um... Yeah, yeah, I think, I think like a journalist. I mean, that's why I think ex-journalists make great publicists. Do people say when they reach out to you with a unique story idea just for you, do they have a, a term that they use to say that it's exclusive to you and maybe exclusive is the word, but. They do that sometimes. Yes. They'll say like, we haven't pitched anybody else this yet because we know you're the pizza guy in Chicago. And so we wanted to get this to you first. Um, or they'll say, you know, we have an exclusive with eater or something. Um, but yeah, it's, so they might say that okay. we want to offer so this. So just being first. very direct about it is best. Yeah, and you know what I do now is I try to get in the habit of asking if if I'm going to be doing the story. Hey, I just want to make sure you know mm-hmm. you haven't pitched anybody else, or if you pitched anybody else, you know, with this story because I know it's a it's a one day event. You know, do you have commitments from anybody to do a story on next Thursday? Because if I do a story on it too, right. it's going to look <laughs> funny. Yes. How do you schedule that? Like, let's say Eater has the exclusive. Are you not interested anymore? Or do you just schedule it out like differently? Well, yeah. If I, mean, if I see that they're going to, if, if I find out they're doing a story on it, I'll probably just stay away. Okay. That's cool. Well, they're just going to be totally different. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Like they would typically do like, these are the 12 hottest pizza places in Chicago. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have a problem with that because... The story that I'm doing is specifically about four new square pizzas, you know, Detroit style, Sicilian, pan, whatever, um, which is going to be more of a deep dive. Right. Yeah. And that's a different story. To back up, you mentioned social media. I'm assuming that obviously when things go live on air, that's one thing, but it sounds like maybe page views or something might come into play with like the landing page of your story on the actual website, the news website. That that is ABC Seven's job. I mean, they have people that do that all day, mm-hmm. um, and so they write the headlines and worry about you know placement. And I literally, my job is to turn the story in and uh, and, and get as much info as I can with the script, and then they take it from there. Yeah, very cool. So it sounds like you do have a few people who message you quite regularly and beyond having a relationship with them via email, are there other ways that you recommend PR people connecting with reporters to kind of build a better friendship? Well, I think, you know, first thing is when you do your legwork and your research in your local market, or even if it's, if it's New York you're pitching, um, find out who the players are. Okay. So who are the who are the associate editors or segment producers that I need to be aware of? Once you've sort of tackled that effort, then you contact them and, and say, you know, I want to just be clear. I want to make sure that I get information to you the best way possible. How do you prefer receiving it? Email, text, um, message, direct message on Insta. You know, like, how do you guys prefer getting a pitch from us? And um, you know, and finding out what kinds of things they're interested in. I mean, you, many years ago, it's so sad to say this, the food editor of the Chicago Tribune was, was um, pitched by one of my friends who was a food writer there on a cover story about Vietnamese food in Little Saigon. And the editor responded that, you know, she's not really that interested in Vietnamese food, so why would we worry about doing a story about that? Which I thought was just awful to hear from the food person. But, you know, you, you have to think about 
what is going to break through the noise? What will this editor or reporter be interested in um, to, to green light something? So yeah, I think it's okay to ask people ahead of time, like, hey, what are you interested in? What can I, what can I pitch you? And like, I, I would tell, like, I'd tell somebody, I would tell somebody, I'll save you a lot of breath and a lot of typing and a lot of um, emailing by right. saying, I don't do cooking segments. You know, if I do a segment, I've done it in my own kitchen during, <laughs> you know, lockdown during COVID, but otherwise I don't do cooking segments with chefs. That's right. just not my segment. Oh my God. Side note, <laughs> talking about cringy food stuff, like, I don't know, I've, I don't know how I came across this, but reading really, really, really old New York Times cooking articles are just a little strange. Yeah. A lot of like... Really? Yeah. A lot of whitewashing. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you know, it's like... Maybe I'm getting a little nerdy, but it's like the the cuisine of the 90s is alive in old New York Times. And it's like strange reading, you know, like, oh, how to make an Indian dish. But it's like, not really... I don't know. By today's standards, for sure, not like through um i don't know how you would mm-hmm. progress i guess you know it's not americans mm-hmm. would know better now but it's interesting um yeah, well, now how did you get into food writing um how did i get into it <laughs> i'm um, curious about that i sorry i interrupted i actually want to know what you were going to say before and then tell me how you got into food writing well, i apologize say, i was more you know <laughs> there's a lot more people of color writers editors that are looking at stories now and are giving feedback and i think it's great because it's not just it's through a white entitled lens anymore so that Thank would probably God. that would stop a lot of the reporting from happening. Um, but anyway, uh, how did I get into it? I I was a general assignment news reporter and uh, worked my way up different markets in the Midwest. As a you know, I did a lot of live reporting, news reporting, and when I came to CLTV, which was Chicagoland Television, which is no longer in existence, it lasted for about twenty five years. But I was one of the first reporters they hired in ninety two. I moved to Chicago and did reporting for a couple of years for this 24-hour news channel. And then I was always interested in food, though. Food was always my hobby, my passion. Um, I always tried pitching food stories while I was in the news department. And just lo and behold, right place, right time, at CLTV in 95, they were launching a new food show called Good Eating, which was going to mirror the Chicago Tribune's weekly food section. And they needed a producer or host to, to run this show and work with the food section editors and develop a weekly half hour show. So I became the producer first. We had a host, uh, the weather guy. And then the weather guy quit after a year and I took over as the host and producer and did this show for eight years from 95 That's to awesome. 03. Um, that show won six Beard Awards. And then when I went over to ABC7 in 03, where I've been for now 18 years, that seemed like a long time. Um, I... <laughs> I got to branch out. I was doing more radio, more freelance, more writing. I think it's really cool that you got into what I'm assuming is writing about your passion. So yeah, yeah kudos it is. to you. It is, thanks. It, it's, it's a huge deal. I, I was wondering how to do that on the PR side. I'm not really quite sure, but maybe one day. <laughs> well, I think putting yourself in a position, right? So, I mean, I was in a position already at a TV station and it, it just, I, I had been pitching food, pitching it to other people in town. But finally, food became important, you know, in 95. So I think putting yourself in a position where you're around that, like, um, well, here's, I'll give you an example. So one of my dear friends from college did PR for many years. Well, first of all, he was a reporter um, and worked in, he was a sports writer. So sports was always his thing. And he loved basketball. And he was a ball boy for the Knicks when he was a kid. 
and was a, he was covering the Islanders for the New York Post, and he was covering kind of second tier sports too. Um, and he realized that that was kind of a dead end job. He wanted something that was sort of more more corporate, more secure, and went to go work mm-hmm. for a big PR firm, uh, Dan Corus Communications, and did you know worked like had big Fortune 500 uh, clients, and had to put together that uh, whatever they call that book of you know, examples, the clip sheet, the clips, the examples that you've done in the media. Um, yep. Wasn't totally satisfied with the corporate thing and wanted to get back to basketball because he loved that sport. And turns out one of the clients that Chorus had um, was a developer, also was a minority owner with the uh, New Jersey Nets at the time. And he ended up leaving Chorus to go work in-house for that client and becoming his in-house PR. And then they became cool. the Brooklyn Nets and then opened a new arena called the Barclays Center, which he did in Brooklyn, all the PR for that. And then he just got hired away a couple of years ago to Milwaukee to do all the communications for the Bucks and their new stadium. Oh, wow. So That's he, cool. So he, Bucks. <laughs> so he was doing PR, not totally satisfied, loved basketball, and found a way to bridge it to you know, working with a client that they had at the at the the roster of clients that that had a basketball interest. Yes, that's inspiring for our listeners for sure. His, na- um, his name is Barry Baum, B A U M if you want to look him up. He's in Milwaukee. Okay, cool. Yeah, cuz I think a lot of PRs get stuck in like <laughs> I've had some clients I don't love and you know, they it gets stale, I'm not going to lie. Um, but sometimes it's easier to well, you know, maybe maybe I'm making PR people sound lazy just like you said you made <laughs> journalists sound lazy but sometimes it's hard to walk away from what's already stable and like in your lap you know what i mean like it's, it t- yeah. takes extra work but i encourage anybody who's listening to go after go for your dreams um one of our guests that we're gonna come or that's gonna get, come on the show steve is a he she was a former journalist she became a pr person and then she came back as a journalist so she kind of did like she went back and forth quite a bit that's kind of crazy to me i thought that was kind of interesting because usually you hear i don't know i've heard of a lot of journalists turning to prs but i've never Mm -hmm. never heard of the back and forth but so far we've learned that if you really want to know where you should eat ignore instagram (laughs) and follow your local food reporters because they know they really know where it's at that's something that i learned i agree with that that was I learned that too. Yeah, that was cool. I have way more insight into that. It makes sense. And then do your research before pitching, but also don't be afraid to ask what stories they want to cover, and to also provide story angles that are unique to to that reporter. I think those are the main three things that I've taken away from this conversation, and I've appreciated. I want to put the mic over to back over to you, Steve, to talk about some PR folks that you want to give a shout out to, you think they're doing a fabulous job. Um, You sent two names over to us, but I'll let you take it from here. Carrie Leung, I've known her for many years. She worked for uh, big PR firms here in Chicago and then went to open her own little boutique firm. And so she only really represents the smaller independent restaurants, which I think are more interesting to journalists anyway, and has very good relationships with editors and producers and doesn't pitch all the time and only infrequently when there's a story and not just a pitch saying my my client is open mm-hmm. you know um, or they're doing a tasting menu now 
but really thinking about you know just putting yourself in the shoes of a journalist. Love That's that. perfect. And the other person you wanted to talk about was uh, Sarah Abel. Oh, Sarah Abel. Yeah, Sarah is, again has become a friend. I mean, this is the thing. You know, there's lines lines blur. Um, known her so many years, we've become friendly because I always went out to the Aspen Food and Wine Classic and was a moderator for their trade program, for the MX trade program, and that was Sarah's job, was to organize it. So she had talked to me you know, oh, cool. incessantly about the program. But I, again, I really respect the work that she and Phil Baltz, her um, business partner, do at Baltz & Co. in New York. They represent some real heavy hitters, um, some really impressive restaurants and clients. And whenever I'm in New York, I try to see them. I'm just going to touch base. She lives in, she goes back and forth. I know Colorado and New York. Because um, she's got a lot of Colorado clients, that's her. That's where she's from originally, and again, just doesn't pitch for the sake of pitching, but you know, pitches because there's a great story and and really puts themselves. I, I, I'm sort of a broken record, putting themselves in the shoes of of the editor or reporter. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't even sound like rocket science. You just have to like sit down, be a little patient, and just put in the work and think creatively and. If you are a PR also, person on a team, I'll, just talk to people. But yeah, what were you going to yeah, say? Exactly, exactly. I'd also say also reading other things. You know, read besides the New York Times, you know, reading the Atlantic or reading the New Yorker mm. um, and saying, hey, just FYI, you know, there was a piece like, what did I see something years ago? I was on a long flight back and I was reading a magazine I never read. And they were talking about um, these Korean astronauts who are going to be taking kimchi into space with them. Oh, that's cool. And so I did. A st- I ended up doing a story on it in Chicago about kimchi um, as an excuse to do a story about kimchi. And but you know, reading and knowing what's going on in current events really helps. And yeah. so that also gives sometimes sparks an idea for a pitch because you might have a client that you know works with Serrano ham, and maybe there's a, a ham angle or an aged curing uh, preserving angle that you can pitch. So it just it, reading other things ham angle i love that that might be that's a potential episode name (laughs) the ham angle uh no that's a that's really good i like that so you're basically giving us permission to like lay back and read a little more and like maybe relax a little because you know many prs need to actually be reminded of that as well (laughs) yeah i think yeah you should have a you should be able to have a big picture approach Mm -hmm. you should really think outside of your little narrow like, you know, my food world is so small and narrow. We all know what everybody's doing. And, you know, we're like, we make up three or four or 5% of the population. Most people just, you know, want to have something that tastes good and fills them up. <laughs> you know, they're not that particular about pizza, for example. But I right. really care about fermentation and hydration and moisture, all that kind of stuff. I just, most people don't care about that. So I think you need to have a big picture and see what most people uh, or a lot of people are, are learning about, reading about, experiencing, as opposed to just your little narrow part of the world. Man, I do have to ask a question now uh, about this that we could probably edit out. But like, do when you as a well, we could probably leave it in. It's probably relevant as a journalist, though. You being interested in fermentation and no, like acknowledging that the general public might not give a damn. Quite honestly, do you avoid? going too deep into these subjects or do you kind of take the approach of educating your readers on something a little different or not well, readers sorry viewers i apologize i no, know you're well, they're reading, they're reading online that's true i, I think it's really you know, i think um I, I go deep sometimes but i i don't go inside baseball for everything okay i, mean, I don't need the minutiae of 
the compounds that are in uh, a chemical <laughs> aroma. But I think, you know, kimchi, I could probably gloss over some of the parts of it, but as long as I'm talking about, you know, rubbing the nap of cabbage and then, you know, packing it in a jar and rubbing it with this, this dried shrimp, um, those are kind of two or three important elements. Yeah. Uh, and then it's like, and voila, you know, five days later, here's your kimchi. So I think uh, people want to see some process. They want to learn something. I mean, my news director always says she likes that she learns something every time she watches my stories. That's cool. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I'm working with a client right now. I won't disclose their name, but they have great resources on, like I, I ask a question and they've got links to these pages that answer my question. I'm like, okay, but can I get a TLDR like too long? Didn't read. Cause like people want stuff distilled. They just want things distilled. And that makes sense to me. I can relate to putting cabbage in a jar. I can't relate to like the, I don't know, the compounds behind the process. Right. So that's cool. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Very cool. I'm too, old, I'm too old to even use TLDR in a sentence. I don't even know what that was until you told me. Well, you just used it in a sentence, Steve. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, it was nice having you on the yeah. show. It really was. Thanks. Thanks. My pleasure. Thank Let's you so much, you. Steve. Thank you. All right. Take care. I don't know about you guys, but I'm absolutely starving now. I need pizza and I need all of the carbs right now. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of We Earn Media. If you like the show, please subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcast. Give us a review, in fact. We'd love that. And as always, feel free to send us your thoughts and feedback, any curiosities, anything you want, really. We love emails to podcast at weearnmedia.com. Thanks, listeners. Ta-ta for now.